Welcome to House Calls, where we get to talk to investment bankers from Kane Brothers, a division of KeyBank Capital Markets Incorporated. I'm your host, Dave Johnson, the CEO of Foresight Health and the author of The Customer Revolution in Healthcare, Delivering Kinder, Smarter, Affordable Care for All. I co-author a monthly thought leadership article with a rotating cast of senior bankers from Kane Brothers. In each piece, we do a deep dive on a fascinating sector of this dynamic healthcare industry. This month, we're focusing on an area that doesn't get anywhere near enough attention, but really should. Our article is titled, Overlooked and Underfunded, Dental Care's Massive Potential to Serve Disadvantaged Populations. My co-author this month is Jenny Watson, a director at Kane Brothers, who has managed a number of notable transactions in this space. Welcome to House Calls, Jenny, where the bankers, like you, are always in. Hi, Dave. Thanks for the invite. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, I think we're going to have some fun with this. I know you feel passionately about the topic. Mm-hmm. So let's start by talking about how important dental care is to overall health. A lot of people, I think, know this already, but it's still not fully appreciated. And certainly the system doesn't act like it is. Yet in our research, we saw study after study that made this point. Why is dental care so essential to overall health? Yeah, we're, you know, as a society, we're not used to thinking about dental care in the same way as we do medical care, but dental care is really important part of a person's health and overall well-being. Poor dental hygiene leading to oral health issues can cause chronic pain in the mouth I and mean, it impacts the type of foods somebody can eat. It impacts a person's social life and career trajectories. And the kicker is a lot of dental issues is preventative. And with early detection, many dental conditions are highly treatable and pays dividends in someone's life. But as a society, we just don't pay enough attention to it. That is so true. I mean, almost all dental disease, oral disease is preventable. And it's it's even, as you'd mentioned, a lot of chronic disease first presents in the mouth. And then the cosmetic effect of having bad teeth on everything from job interviews to relationships can be profound. So low cost, high return, but not always done. And that really gets to the second question here, which is what's really unfortunate and frankly maddening is that dental care is what we don't provide to the populations that need it the most, specifically disadvantaged people on Medicare and Medicaid. Most of the rest of us get it through our commercial plans, but the poorest in society are pretty much left to fend for themselves in large measure. So talk about that a little bit, Jenny, about how the burden of bad dental care and lack of preventive dental care falls disproportionately on the poor and disadvantaged in this country. Yeah, that's right, Dave. Most employed individuals will get their dental care from their employers or they would be able to pay in cash. There really is limited funding for individuals on Medicare and Medicaid. The Medicare program doesn't cover dental, which is often a surprise to retiring seniors who have had dental coverage through their employers and now no longer have coverage under Medicare. And depending on the state, there's little to no coverage in Medicaid. The only exception to this is really for children on Medicaid. Their dental procedures are covered by a federal program under CHIP. What ends up happening with the underserved population is that the lack of funding in preventative dentistry results in delayed treatment and more acute problems for the patient, which creates more complex procedures for the dentist. And dentists 
don't often like to treat an adult with significant dental issues on Medicaid because there's just not enough funding to reimburse the dentist for his or her time. So there are significant access problems that stem from the lack of funding. Yeah, no kidding. I remember having a conversation with my dentist once who said there are only two kinds of patients. Those who've had preventive dental care their whole lives and their issues are easy to deal with, as I think most of us know. And then there are train wrecks, people that haven't had dental care and are losing their teeth and have gum damage. And it's real work to get them back to any semblance of, of normalcy and also unnecessary. So one thing I often say is that we won't change the way we deliver care in this country until we change the way we pay for it. In this light, how would you characterize the investor and provider activity in these markets? There have always really been significant investor interests in dental overall. In many ways, a lot of investors understand the dental industry and are interested in contributing to innovations in the space. But it has been interesting that many investors have more recently decided that they're not really interested in investing in businesses that serve you know, the underserved population. If we take a look at the companies that we are discussing today, many investors are impact funds, which are funds that are looking to generate meaningful and measurable social impact along with the financial return. TPG's The Rise Fund is invested in Blue Cloud Pediatric. And um, Bain Capital's Double Impact Fund is invested in another business called Rodeo Dental. Paraquest Innovation, an innovations fund with a mission to improve overall health through oral health, is invested in Enabled. There really are a lot of funds that are interested in improving the societal benefits of having more preventive dentistry. You know, there certainly are other investors that are interested in the space, and there's other investors that are invested in DSOs that have Medicaid components. But certainly it is fewer than investors interested in investing in the commercial and cash pay only DSOs. The way to get more investor interest, I would say, is just one in educating investors that there's significant opportunities to invest in the space. And we'll demonstrate that with some of the companies that we'll be talking about today but also that the second piece, which is there's a lot of fear in the compliance and the reimbursement components of businesses that operate in this space, we're seeing reimbursement change. And we'll also discuss that a little bit later as well. Good. And you're certainly right about private equity interests in dental service organizations, dental practices. It's almost like if you looked up the word roll up, you'd see dentist practices right there in the dictionary. I mean, they've been very active in that space. But it's a little more predictable. And I think you're right that if we could make the payment more predictable, then the investors would follow because the need is so compelling. But let's talk about some of the companies that are already pioneers in a way. Talk to us about Choice Healthcare Services in the pediatric Medicaid space. That's a great story. Yeah. So Choice is an interesting company. The business serves patients across all types of insurance, which includes Medicaid. And as the name suggests, they are largely focused on the pediatric population. If you walk into one of their offices, it's very child-friendly with colorful walls, games available, you know, and it's very catered to that specific population. Amulet Capital Partners acquired a majority stake in the business a couple of years ago, and their investment thesis was to build a business that could deliver pediatric dental services to underserved populations with inadequate access to quality oral care. 
And they've been able to grow quite significantly just by understanding that supply demand imbalance. The company started with one state in California, and they are now at four states. It's a great example of being able to find investment opportunities in sectors that have been deemed uninteresting to other investors. Yeah. Well, it's almost as though there's a level of non-consumption, Clay Christensen's term, that is so profound and the need is so great that any company that can figure out potentially how to create a cost-effective, profitable business model can do really well. So with that in mind, why don't we move over to the blue cloud and what do they do and why are they so interesting? Right. One of the biggest concerns that investors may have in pediatric dentistry is that for certain patients, sometimes they need to undergo general anesthesia for oral surgery. The patient population is different in pediatrics because they cannot sit still with extractions. And the prevailing option has been to send the patient to a hospital under the care of an anesthesiologist. (laughs) That's expensive. Right. And it's not as costly as another surgery. Hospitals tend to prefer to utilize their operating rooms for procedures that generate more cash and profitability for the hospitals, which is a hip surgery. So Mm -hmm. the pediatric patient tends to be pushed to the side and there's limited space available for their dental procedures and wait times are increasingly long. The alternative to serving that patient in the hospital is to sedate the patient at a dental office. And while we have seen that done quite a bit, you know, there have been adverse events of pediatric patients passing during their procedures. And this is one of the reasons why there has been more muted investor interest in pediatrics because of some of that dynamic. So Blue Cloud Pediatrics Surgery Centers was founded to expand access to pediatric dental surgery by building ASCs to serve that population. Under the Blue Cloud model, there are anesthesiologists focused on pediatrics, and there are fully qualified medical staff on site to help the patient. It's great for patients because they can get care at a fully staffed ASC focused on pediatrics specifically, and payers love it because it lowers the cost of care by having that procedure completed at an ASC instead of at a hospital. So, You know, Blue Cloud is a first mover in many ways, and we're looking forward to seeing how they continue to grow. That's really interesting because there's a clear cost savings embedded in their business model. So, Jenny, we've been talking about pediatric dental care up to this point. So let's shift over to the adult market where there's been a lot less investment activity. But one company, Enable Dental, has really found innovative delivery and payment approaches to reaching populations in need. Tell us about Enable and what makes them so special. Enable is really interesting. It was founded on the concept of mobile dentistry, where the original intent was for dentists to serve patients who cannot physically get to an office. So think of, you know, maybe geriatrics or IDD patients. And what Enable would do is to send providers um, and treat the patients in their homes. What is interesting is that they have tapped into a very innovative sector of healthcare, which are PACE programs. PACE programs are value-based care programs that provide comprehensive medical and social services to frail and elderly people, mainly Medicare and dual eligible individuals. Enable contracts with PACE programs to serve its members, which really demonstrates the importance of providing access to dental care if you are to care for an individual's overall well-being. And it's the genesis of payers understanding the importance of dental care in the continuity of care. Yeah. And what you have with dual eligibles, 
those are individuals that qualify for both Medicare and Medicaid, so elderly poor. That ends up being a fairly robust payment, and we've seen several companies kind of emerge into this space to provide care, and it becomes capitated or a form of at-risk payment. So if dental care makes sense, we'd expect to see a lot more of it in companies that are in dual eligible programs and the PACE program and so on. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing. So that's actually a little bit of an encouraging sign in an area where there often isn't a whole lot of encouragement. But why don't we stay on the payment front a little bit? A dental benefits administrator that you know very, very well, Liberty Dental, has been a leader in trying to create value-based incentives for providers. How are they doing that? And how successful have they been at making a dent in creating value-based payment for dental care services? Yeah, Liberty is experimenting with its own value-based payment reform. So if we think about, you know, what Liberty does and how it functions, they're effectively a dental insurer. As we know, value-based care has not been as much of a topic of conversation in dental, but what Liberty is doing is they're developing their own value-based payment reform to reward providers for delivering preventative dental care. And they're also developing an evidence-based program that creates a dental risk profile for every individual, kind of like what you would see in risk scoring on the medical side. And that way, an individual's health status can be tracked over time and outcomes can be measured. And it really is the beginning of paving the way for more value-based care arrangements in dental. That's terrific. So good news, bad news on this front is, I guess the bad news is historically, there hasn't been a lot of funding in the Medicaid dental space. There have been more for children than for adults. But it does seem that the states are waking up to the idea that integrating dental care into an overall care program makes all the sense in the world. It's always made all the sense in the world. So a number of states seem to be taking steps to increase the amount of funding available for dental care both for kids and for adults. Talk to us about this trend and should we be encouraged? What's interesting about Medicaid funding is that it comes and goes with state budgets. So it's not a consistent source of funding. And that's one of the reasons why investors have been detracted from investing in the space. But over the last two years, a number of states have added or partially expanded their Medicaid coverage to include dental insurance, including Colorado, Ohio, Oklahoma, Virginia, and a handful of other states. Recently, I think about a week ago, Michigan just announced that it is significantly expanding its Medicaid fee schedule to match the average commercial rates, which is an extremely positive development for Michigan. And it just exemplifies that states have become much more focused on the impact that dental reimbursement for servicing the underserved population can have to the overall population at large, but also, you know, having more preventative care would help minimize the emergency costs that they would need to spend for that patient. You know, Jenny, I had my eyes open on this seven, eight years ago. I did a site facility tour of the Quad Med facility just outside Milwaukee, their largest facility. Quad Med is a company that provides in-clinic services to companies. And Quad Med had the largest dental operation I had ever seen inside the clinic. I mean, it was massive. And I asked them why there was so much space dedicated to dental because they were doing all the other things as well. 
And they said, well, it just makes common sense. A lot of chronic disease first presents in the mouth. So we get an early read on people who are susceptible to chronic disease and we get them treatment right away. Turns out having good teeth is something employees like and having the convenience of being able to get their dental care right there on site turned out to be a huge benefit in, in attracting and retaining employees. And I just, ever since then, I've, I've thought it's just almost the dumbest thing in the world that we don't make dental care almost ubiquitously available to everyone in the country because it doesn't cost a lot of money. And if you can prevent dental disease in the first place, then you won't have the need for these expensive procedures afterward. Plus, you get a head start on treating other chronic conditions and it makes people happier, more productive and so on. There's almost nothing bad I can think about it. And yet, because of the quirky nature of the way we pay for things, we really do underfund and overlook dental care and its role in well-being. And it's really surprising that the only way that a lot of Medicaid programs fund dental services is if those services are performed at a hospital. Every year, emergency department visits for dental issues cost the nation $2 billion. And that could be preventable if we could provide that same access in a lower cost setting for these individuals. Oh, no kidding. Lost school days, lost work days, just a huge negative impact on productivity in the country overall. People can't achieve to the same extent if they're out because of dental pain. They don't take the jobs they're most qualified for. It's just a real retardant. And what you're describing you know, spending lots of money to treat a few people in the most expensive way while not spending a reasonable amount of money to treat a lot of people in the right way is just kind of beyond dumb. It's the kind of thing that just drives me nuts about U.S. healthcare. And with that in mind, since we're now up to 20% of the economy and hospitals are losing money and there's more investments flowing into healthcare than ever before, I can't let you get away without making a big bold prediction about where healthcare is going in the future. Tell us what you see, Jenny. Well, I think you had talked about this, Dave, at the Kane Brothers Conference, which is that, you know, I think some folks think that medical spending would really max out at 20% of GDP. And I would say my big, bold prediction would be that we are going to go above that. I think that given the current trend and the lack of catalyst and slowing down the increasing cost of healthcare is going to drive us above that. Now, I don't know if that's a big, bold prediction or if it's a, if that's a big, safe prediction <laughs> where well, the current healthcare economy is going, but that's kind of my contribution to that one. Well, I usually don't say this, but I really, really hope you're wrong. I mean, I just really hope you're wrong. So do I. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, but, you know, you're a realist and there are a lot of reasons to think that the system, which has always consumed ever more resources, will continue to do that until it can't anymore. And maybe we haven't reached that point yet. I hope we have, but maybe we haven't. Well, anyway, Jenny, just a terrific discussion. Thank you. I encourage our listeners to read Jenny's and my article, Overlooked and Underfunded, Dental Care's Massive Potential to Serve Disadvantaged Populations. Read that and you'll learn a lot more. In the meantime, Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep doing what you do to make our healthcare system kinder, smarter, and more accessible and affordable for all.